This is Shaka Wart Speak. All right, we got another installment of 30 Below. Believe it or not, we can keep conversation below 30 minutes. Below 30 minutes. We've done like 27, right? Yeah, I mean, we did that's one great. one time that was severely short. Yeah, and that's a wrap, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, we've just done two minutes. <laughs> Congratulations. No, yeah, we it. got another, uh, we got a nice little short tidbit for you. Um, we're here this week uh, because, you know, if, if you've been a part of any conversation we've ever been a part of, Ryan and I care somewhat very deeply about the <laughs> fact that, that language is a powerful thing. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes, even between two people that know each other really well, that have had a lot of conversations, um, you can miscommunicate very easily if some of your definitions are just a little bit wonky. No way. Totally, totally. Why would you make fun of Willie like that? <laughs> Willie Wonky? Yeah. Uh, Willie oh. Wonky. <laughs> Willie Wonky. He had that garbage chocolate factory next to Willie Wonka's. Look, at, we're, already like, dis- <laughs> we're already disagreeing down. right now. How dare you make fun of Willie Wonky? <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's funny because the uh, the nice counterpoint to this conversation. I'm probably um, not going to stop laughing. It's actually what we're talking about in this uh, installment of 30 Below, which is like, what is the difference and what are the similarities between elite and elitism? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, which it's great because yeah, yeah. I feel like we keep having these ideas for these 30 minute episodes yep. where as soon as it comes out of my mouth. Like I, I, when we're talking about it, I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. But as soon as I say it and then my mind puts together the fact that we're talking about this in under 30 minutes, I go, mm. why are we choosing this for under 30 minutes? I know. So it could be a bigger episode later. We'll see. Yeah. Or it could just be, or it could just be that it, um, sorry, I'm drinking a lot of coffee today. Or it could just be that, uh, it's in the air of the other episodes. And so we're just putting that's more of a finger on it. That's a, yeah. that's a really yeah, good yeah, point. Yeah. So it's kind of like, if, if anything, I would say that if you, um, if you listen for a repeatability redundancy, it's in some ways it's intentional. Some ways it's just will be points of points where I don't know any, any, any better or, you know, you don't. Um, but if there's continuity, then you're, you're stitching together everything or, yeah. you, you know, you're, 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 uh, piecing together what actually is a whole. Mm-hmm. So, uh, with that, then there are these, uh, uh, points that are effective in, uh, the makeup of the whole and they do things to the whole, you know, so we're always looking at a whole picture in and then teasing out parts. So um, in the matrix, if you will, of, uh, of art and design culture and human beings, these things pervade. So they pervade through, they, they touch on. So elitism and being elite uh, uh, is uh, pitted against each other uh, apply a lot of places, right? Mm-hmm. But it's worth parsing out because we see a lot of elitism in academia and we see it in the arts. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's something, even as people outside of the arts, it's usually one of the descriptors that they'll say. They're like, oh, it's, it's an elitist thing. I yeah, can't it's cultural be a part elite. of That's that. exactly right. It's avant-garde. Yeah. You know, it's, it's uh, bourgeoisie. It's high culture, high society. And uh, from within, we don't necessarily combat that all the time. No. Like we sometimes no. hold that up on a banner as a, as a point of pride. That's right. It, it you know, I props think us it, up. Yeah, I mean, I think this complements, um, you know, like even the, uh, you know, so definitely I think there's some import from like even the imposter episode we did. Oh, definitely. So, um, yeah, so I mean, I think I think what kind of got me is, again, like looking at, um, you know, we've talked about like, I okay, so where, just jumping in since we only got a little bit of time. Yeah. So jumping in, we're just, I got to remember we're, we're not doing a long one here. Uh 
elite people are able to be elite at something mm-hmm. because there is a clarity in a rubric in a repeat repeatableness to what they do uh, that many can do. Mm-hmm. And it's contained and constrained in such a way that it allows for someone to elevate yeah. whatever that doing is to such a standard that the others that do it well recognize something very, very, very uh, uh, special or impeccable about it. So right. in athletics, when you so if everybody you have uh, uh, kids running 200 meters when they're little and in high school and at every level those parameters allow for someone to come forward. And so elite is the person that persists through the age, age levels all the way through up to the Olympics. And at every level, they've just been at the top and it's recognized. It's clear. It's repeatable. And, um, it's supported. So it's institutionally supported. It's funded. Um, people can see it with their bare eyes. It's it's understandable even to the person who doesn't do it. Yeah, you know, does that? It does. It makes sense. And and I think you know we see like the most common place where I I hear the word elite used yep. is with athletes. Yeah, right? and uh, and the way they do that is you see them doing the same motions over and over right. and over and over again to the point of. Uh, a level where a lot of people would be like, how redundant is this? Like how many times as a professional baseball player did Albert Pujols need to do batting practice? Right. And his answer was probably like, probably more than I am already. Yeah. You know, yeah, because yeah. there's, there's something elite about that. I mean, Malcolm Gladwell in his book outliers talks, he has this rule that he says he, uh, he has, uh, seen based on things that he views as he didn't use the word elite, but, mm-hmm. um, as like people at the pinnacle of what they do. Mm-hmm. And he called it the 10,000 hour rule. Mm-hmm. And he said that people were able to get to this spot because they spent so much time mm-hmm. repeating that process mm-hmm. that it almost becomes like a muscle memory. Right. right. So he talks about the fact that the Beatles like lived in a van and toured around Hamburg and Frankfurt and Germany to these little club crowds, like seven nights a week, two or three shows for a few years before they ever had like a big album. Right, and so they were doing this stuff over and over and over again, um, and that I think uh, gets us to a place where, like, you know, sometimes we may want to try to put a little weird mystical juju on some stuff and say, "Oh, well, if you're elite, you were like born elite." Yeah, it's like no, I think there's a, there's a work that goes yeah. into being. Yeah, even elite. if you have high capacity, typically the high capacity person still works m- most right. of the time. So even if their capacity, if they've got a little extra, like LeBron James got a little extra. Uh, you know, in the way that he's built, but he also oh, yeah. has yeah. worked it. He didn't. He didn't recline into it. He he utilized uh, the starting point with and and pushed it forward more. So capacity, you know, you, your capacity is whatever it is. So you can't really uh, determine that for yourself. It's kind of handed down. But there's what you do with it. Um, but just to make a clear delineation between elite, elite doesn't require you to be uh, an elitist. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, so like you, you can be humble and elite, um, which means you're not belittling people because of your elite abilities in a given sphere. So why I think this is important is I see a lot of people in elite academic institutions mm-hmm. uh, who the institution is elite, but in art and design, 
um, what tends to fall in place uh, of elite uh, doings is elitism, uh, which is a false grounds for what makes you great at what you do. Right. Um, what I mean by that is you're not rest. So in sports, the system is clearer in many ways. If you're an elite runner, the repeatability of the pattern of running is, is uh, observable over and over again. Yeah. And benchmarks, metrics are established and, you know, you know what you're working towards, but in art and design, it's much harder. You know, I've said before, like mm. you, you, there is like a little serendipity or a little luck in being an artist because there's plenty of people, you know, one thing that drives me bonkers is I see a lot of people say at the university we work at all have master's degrees, all mm. really brilliant. But not all of them are full time. They're adjunct. And, but they all have the same education, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, um, and sometimes the, there's some adjuncts I've known that have just been amazing oh, yeah. makers. Right. And I've known some full timers that maybe not so much. And so the pattern, the patterns of repeatability that allow someone to be elite mm-hmm. in a diversified field is harder to establish. Oh yeah. So it's harder to fix that elite idea. Um, in a con- the conscious minds of, of an audience. And so what I think happens in its place is the grounds is not there. The grounds becomes a uh, personal attitude of diminishing others that haven't obtained to whatever your personal status is. Yeah. You see? And so, so the, the, it necessarily eviscerates the ability to be elite and have humility in place of it is you're not sure if you're elite, therefore you compensate through elitism, which is, to be a, to 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 drift into elitism is to actually have to diminish those around you. You have to create false distance where there isn't. Mm-hmm. So where there isn't uh, differentiation, you know, it it creates a kind of pseudo classism, classism that gets um, enculturated into and sticks with the practice of making. Yeah. It's a it's a really unnecessary bedfellow to being an artist or a designer, mm-hmm. um, and and then it gives the idea of high quality a bad name because it gets associated with classism and elitism and and uh, necessary biases. And uh, the irony is, elitists in institutions erode the ground that they're standing on as much as they erode the ground of the people around them are standing on. And, mm-hmm. and that's how you see, uh, I think in the arts, institutions hollow out. Now, it might be easier to be an elite philosopher because you're dealing with past things that mm-hmm. are sort of solidified. Yeah, It's harder to be an elite theorist projecting into the future mm-hmm. because it's, it's open. It's open interpretation. It's open to invention. It's, it's harder to be perceived as that. You see what I'm saying? You can be really impeccable. You can be a really keen thinker. But oftentimes, the, the better theoreticians, the one that theorize the future, are good philosophers. Mm-hmm. So what's really grounding their expressions is how well they understand what, what came before them. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So they're resting on something. Um, when, when um, you know, this is what drives us bonkers is when, you know, like somebody's a decent maker, but they, they have an elitist attitude. They'll ground it in their material wealth, their opportunity, their privilege. Yeah. Um, these other factors that... that um, They'll create a game in place of the truth. 
Yeah. And the problem with it is nobody else wants to play the game, but because this person holds a higher position, they force everybody into the game. Oh, that's that's just that just boils my my blood to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, I've been I've been feeling this way um off and on for the last several years and so I just personally sometimes just see it as such a travesty uh and so difficult to address when you get into the workplace or with galleries mm-hmm. and um you know, uh it's a distancing mechanism, man. It just, it just, uh, it's detrimental. Uh, I, I, I never see it produce life. Yeah, it, it, it never does. And, you know, one of the things is, uh, you know, if, if there's the kind of the pushback, if you're listening and you're like, well, you know, elite and elitism, like they, they're the same words, yeah. you know, it's like, um, then, then put it this way. Um, elite is equal to elitism in the same way that reality is equal to realism. Mm-hmm. Right. Because right. when you when you have a realistic painting, you still know it's a painting. It's not actually that that's right that tree or that vista or that person. They're correlated, or the but they're not the same thing. Right. Yeah. And one is a is a stand-in for the other. Mm-hmm. And so, if we start to think about it this way, then what we can look at is uh, if you are elitist, um, then you may not be elite. That's and, yeah. And that's I'm, I just I hate to just kind of drop. No, it that, I think that's that the biggest bluntly. thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, that's but one it of doesn't the mean that if you're elite, you can't have an elitist attitude. 100%. That's exactly right. So a lot of times, elite people in a field are recognized by everybody else as such. On the basis of... Um, on the basis of uh, what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but elitism in a person signals a lot of times a weakness that they are aware of, which is why mm-hmm. I say this kind of ties back to imposter syndrome a little bit. Yeah. So it's a response to the fact that you know that you're not, you know you're not quite what you think you ought to be or, or like you think highly of yourself and the way you go about demonstrating that isn't foolproof. And so in place of the lack of foolproof demonstration, you actually have to overwhelmingly remind others so you're you're poisoning the well with your own idea that yeah I'm better than you I I actually you are different than me and um, you don't espouse my values or my high view of myself the overwhelming myopia and self importance overwhelms the person to the point that they can't even notice other people in the room mm-hmm. unless those people are keenly working towards the support of that person in their own unstated strange warped perception of themselves. And so then you get into a culture of elitists and they all sit together as islands in a room jockeying for the next little, little bit. And you know, it's kind of like the club that keeps the doors closed so no one can get in so that you can get a line formed outside. And then, Mm -hmm. and then the, the goal is, is just to get in. Mm -hmm. Then what? That's why I say there's no life giving to it. You become, you become an elitist. Then what? It, get, it starts to pervert mm-hmm. because there's nowhere else to go. If that's your Mount Everest and you're, you're falsely conveying it and creating a culture around it, on the inside, it's gutted out. There's nowhere else to go. So you just become a little more inward in weird ways. You know, yeah. it, it gets more idiosyncratic. That's why super wealthy and powerful people, I mean, a lot, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about people that are just into some really gross and weird stuff. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're so powerful they don't know what to do with themselves 
Yeah. And they're so isolated from anybody um, that uh, can offer any kind of enrichment or other point of view that they're just stuck. Yeah. You know, it's an echo chamber kind of thing. Well, and it, it takes it takes no work to be elitist. Yeah. No work whatsoever. No. Like no no effort, no hardship on That's your part. That's amazing. I mean, it's an amazing fact. Um, it, like I can, I can leave here and I can turn into an elitist. Yep. No problem. I don't have to have anything to show for it. That's right. I don't right. have to prove it. I just have to say it yep. and just have the attitude. Po- attitude, posture. But it, it takes a whole hell of a lot of work to be elite. Um, in Japanese culture, they have a, a word uh, for uh, expert craftsmen. Um and the word is Takumi. Yep. And it is uh, like it's thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of repetitive things. And you see this a lot in uh, in Japanese culture. Even, um, you know, I heard a story one time that uh, within like if, if you want to be a, a, a sushi chef, mm-hmm. um, that it's like might be multiple years before they let you handle a knife. Yeah. Because uh, they want to make sure that all of the motions are, are what they should be, mm-hmm. that your training is impeccable, that mm-hmm. you're elite because, because those things hold a, a cultural weight within that culture. Yeah. The whole culture respects it as such. It's funny. This may not apply, but it makes me, and I, and I, you know, this is one of those things where I could be giving some false facts. Like it's fo- foggy memory here, but, um, Neo Rauch, you know, kind of came into focus in the, you know, 2003, 2004, um, and I want to say, this is where I'm not sure, but I want to say like part of the Lipstick School, uh, highly collected, there was just a flurry of collection. You know, he kind of reignited a quasi-surrealism in painting when that was sort of like taboo. It was kind of passe or something. But um, one of the things that I remember reading about him that I, I found interesting is I want to say he was towards his early 40s when he kind of came into prominence. But the interesting thing was he was in Europe. He's German. He's in Europe, though. And he spent like he had multiple opportunities sooner to gain attention mm-hmm. as a maker. But he he refused it because he just studied the masters of all kinds. So he spent like 20 years developing. So by the time he started making the paintings that kind of blew him up, I mean, it looked like it was coming out of nowhere. But it was like 20 years of devoted time in humility, um, studying other people's work, you know, and really, really working it out, really processing it. And so, um, it kind of positioned him in his forties to become like a, you know, perceived as an elite maker of a kind that really, really influenced a whole generation of artists for the next 10 years and probably, you know, and so on. But I mean, I know the market changed and the lipstick school started and, you know, people were buying art and, all this stuff came out of that and people were looking at him like a, a star and he was, he is, but, um, you know, maybe less, I don't know how, you know, things fade, but, um, but what was the most fascinating to me is the fact that he had spent an intense amount of time in humility, just studying thoroughly every, like how propaganda posters were made. I mm-hmm. mean, different types of painters, different eras. He would, live in museums, study with uh, really, really classical master teachers. And I remember reading that and being bummed because I was like, I already am not on that path. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, gosh, I'm um, I'm not going to be able to do this. You know, like I'm not going to be able to go back. Yeah, I think, you know, I've been looking up while you've been talking. I looked up a, a, a quote from Neil Rouch that I think kind of, 
you know, explains this a lot of what you're talking about. Um, so, it, you know, to do some paraphrasing, he said, I view the process of painting as a natural form of discovering the world. All right. And then he goes on to say, um, it is almost entirely, or excuse me, uh, it's predominantly limited to the process of a concentrated flow. Mm. Right. So it's not, he's not talking about just kind of happening upon these things. Right? No, there's, yeah. there's something yeah, specific yeah, yeah. going yeah. on. And so then when you look at his work, it, uh, especially when it came out at the time, um, you know, we're pretty saturated now, but at the time it was seen very inventive and fresh. And that was the thing is like, it was inventive and fresh, highly controlled, highly understood. Um, um, but it was a relief to know that it didn't just, he didn't just sit down in a studio and whip it out. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he didn't. And I think I've seen artists that do that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then because it's not deeply rooted, um, it's in shallow soil. Yeah. Uh, they tend to compensate through, um, I don't know. I've been to some parties in New York where people are, uh, pretty elitist and, yeah. uh, and they're rooting their, their identities, um, in, in kind of constructing the culture around, um, a negation of other. Yeah. And you're fortunate to be standing with me right now. And we're, you know, I'm letting you in to this space while we party hard and, yeah. you know, you got people like snorting lines of Coke and weird stuff. I've seen some, you know, some of this and it's just like, um, <laughs> as someone who didn't go to college, I mean, so is the only person to go to college in my family coming up where I did, it's like, uh, well, that's what people were doing where I came from that <laughs> didn't go to college and don't make paintings. Like, so how, how, how did, how does that, not how is that a part of the equation for you as far as being elite when back home that's just a part of being gangsta yeah <laughs> like uh in fact those people seem more serious to me than you because mm-hmm. they were dealers and like some of my friends were like coke like you know just old school big picture it, it just really threw me for a loop do you know what i'm saying i was like i don't want either of those you know like there's a reason why i moved away i didn't want to be a part of that but at the same time I didn't want to be a part of that on the other side of the spectrum either. And, uh, um, now I, I do think that there is uh, a temptation to protect what we cherish the most mm-hmm. against a watching world that wants to tear it down. And I think that can create an accidental elitism. Mm. And I think, you know, I think Clement Greenberg was trying to kind of get, get to that place, uh, with avant-garde and kitsch that there has to be a preserving of high culture because, uh, pop culture will eat it up, consume it. And, and it did, you know, um, but part of the problem with that paradigm is the assumption that there has to be a high, um, in this kind of vertical way or something, you know, like, yeah, like almost like, almost like the, the high and low don't just already exist, but we have to like push to a high. Yeah. We have got to push to a high. Yeah. There's qualitative differences between different types of, so, so I think, you know, like take symphony, there's great, uh, orchestras, yeah. you know, and then there's the people that are aspiring and there weren't, you have your local expressions and mm-hmm. you can kind of, you, you can recognize like an elite violinist, yeah. but there's something in the form itself that enables you to see that with regularity and make differentiation. Yeah. When you get to art and design in the visual sense, it's a little harder because partly we work. So you might be elite at your, at time management, which mm-hmm. means your design work is always on time. Yeah. Which packaged together is really powerful. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, and when you really have someone working in a more historic vein of painting, let's say, mm-hmm. it's easier to see what kind of paint handler they are. 
Yeah. But if you're, if you're, if you are a good painter, but you're inventing and you're working in a, a lane that is uh, less defined and less repeated, um, you may have a gallery backing you. You may have several grants. You may build a resume, but it's still really interesting because you're not going to have the, if you choose the highly personal idiosyncratic route to go, which is a great route, um, then you can't expect anyone else to have quite that same resume. Yeah. Which means you can't expect to be affirmed as elite in the same way. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Because it's, it's, there's not a rule for that. Yeah. If you choose to play golf, there's a compare comparability to the resumes of folks. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Because yeah. by nature of what it is. Um, but really I think, so, I mean, I think the ax to grind for me with this is, is just personal in the sense that I think um, universities need to do a better job of actually treating people with respect. Mm. Uh, actually seeing their, their dignity, their self-worth and their value. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing worse than false humility. Yeah. Oh gosh. It's, it's so stinky. Well, also I think we have to, uh, with something like it, it, especially within education, if we are hoping as educators, or if you are hoping as a, as a practicing artist or designer, um, to one day describe the people you work with or yourself as elite. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have to have an understanding of, um, there's, uh, oh, oh, actually understanding what rigor looks like. Right. Right. Uh, right. cause I, I mean, this is a conversation I've been having with a lot of folks about other things that aren't art and design, uh, talking about like, how do, how do I understand what rigor is? Mm-hmm. You know, because, um, a lot of people will say, oh, oh, rigor, you become like highly kind of like pedantic and things yeah. and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and. And you're just, you know, doing things just to do it a whole lot. Maybe you're pushing too hard or you're forcing. And it's like, I, I don't know that that's what rigor is. Maybe you've felt that, experienced that yep. in moments of rigor. But um, all these things we're talking about with, with elite, like there's a there's a, a rigor to it, right? There's yeah. a, a, a standard that is often set by the person that comes out right. as elite. Right, right. So I think the, the, the middle road for me is, is when we talk about like doing things with excellence or um, thoughtfulness and consideration and consistency. Like if you're running a gallery or if you're, um, you're navigating these waters between extremes, the, the new collector and the wealthy collector or the patron, yeah. or, you know, you're, you're going to be swimming in these streams. So what kind of person ought we be in negotiating this world that, that can sometimes in the arts be very polarizing. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to bring the high, low and the low high, is sort of the uh, the dance a little bit. You got to uh, find ways of of uh, pull, bringing people down to earth a little bit, and making sure that your you know sort of your neighbors, your colleagues, uh, your friends are are uh, rightly placed in the the context of human value in the midst of culture making, so that the conversations can become more true to what we're trying to do, mm-hmm. and less about upholding to. Um, this other pretense. So, so that's part of the thing that I think has created a big problem for the arts in a lot of ways is, is the elitist drift creates pretense, which disables uh, greater value and respect for the arts from people that are farther from the arts. Mm. It's a, it's a endless divide that cannot be conquered without laying down your elitist bent. So you got to figure out what the heck do I, am I afraid of losing? Um, and what am I really gaining by looking down my nose at other people that have mm-hmm. different values than me or are not as in the know as me? Like I was reading something from uh, an author 
that we've talked about, but he was saying something to the effect of, um, and I'm going to butcher this and I'm probably bring it up again because I've been really, really thinking about this. He's saying like if you take uh, the flow of history, you know, yeah. just like, and you you take an idea of of literacy taking over at a time when people didn't read. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden now you have the literate. And because now the literate exist, by comparison, those that are not are illiterate. Yeah. Right? So when you get culturally literate people, they start to look at others as illiterate. Mm. But what comes with illiteracy in our minds because of our elitism is a, a lower station, devalued, nothing to offer. When the truth is, uh, you their oral traditions were uh, full of brilliant minds. Yeah, and um, and even if your mind's not brilliant, you're still valuable. Right, and you can still bring you bring credible life experience to every every occasion. Mm-hmm. Virtually everybody does. Right. So the goal is to be okay with literacy of a kind. In a, in a particular vocation you've endeavored into in the arts, let's say, or design or whatever, and not seeing that as some some justification for judging those that are not literate to the ends that you are. Yeah, because so, you were there at one point. Because you were there at one point, and also you, you're wrongly not you're not accounting for how it is that they are in the know about whatever it is that they're in the know about. Yeah, you know. So the worst thing in the world for me to be would be to live in my neighborhood with just very diverse and treat people according to how literate they are in the way of the arts. I mean, I don't even think anybody in my neighborhood knows for sure that I'm an artist. Yeah. But I talk to my neighbors and we're friends and in all walks of life. Mm-hmm. So because there's a larger goal there, it's the value of people. You see what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. so community occurs. And then, heaven forbid, you get to know someone well enough that they inquire about more keenly what you do yeah. and beca- and they inquire hilariously enough because they don't feel any elitist bone in you. They're not being judged by you. Mm-hmm. And so they, they actually don't feel afraid to ask. Do you know how many people I know are afraid to go into a gallery or talk to an artist because they don't want to be judged by the artist or the artwork? I mean, most people I talk to. Amazing. And yeah. then the elitist person has the presence of mind to complain about that and speculate as to why. And do you know what they do with that? They use it to make themselves feel good about how they've done the hard work of coming to understand what everybody else is so blind to. Yeah, it's incredible. It's even worse though when that person comes into an an institution and does that. Yeah, and enculturates that into the students that actually leave the school. Yeah, and and you instill a um, an idea that that all you have to do is just kind of uh, posture yourself. Yep, right. A swag. I just need to posture myself, mm-hmm. and if I we're number don't one. Have that, Yep. Yep. And, and it's, you know, it's, and it's super tough. Um, it's difficult to do because we all have the, the, the kind of temptation to fall into that. Right. Um, because like we mentioned, elitism's an easy thing to do. Yeah. It, it says, here's, here's the way to your destination without the work. Yep. It's as easy as going to the bathroom. Right. No one really has to help you do that. No, no, <laughs> it's super easy. <laughs> and so on that note, I'm feeling testy today, y'all. We'll ha- we're, we're, um, are we, we're, are we below 30? Um, I don't think we are anymore. Oh my gosh, we didn't do it today. Just over thirty. Okay, we're sorry. We're gonna edit it down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll be honest. We didn't make it today. Just think of this as your bonus content. Yeah, bonus, bonus content. There's so much more to cover on this, but there is so much. So be uh, yeah. looking out for another one. Chew on this one, please do, and let us know. And as always, thanks for listening, guys. We Peace appreciate out. it. Peace. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. 
We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottom. <laughs>